0: Good morning. If you uh, are new to Easter, there's kind of an ongoing tradition for 2,000 years where someone on Easter will say, He is risen, and you'll say, Boom, you got it, you got it. So if I, I may not, but if I break out into it, if I just yell it out, then you just call it right back. It'll be fun. You'll love it. We can also do the Crowder version, which applies perfectly to the series we're in, hence Lion and Lamb. It's My God's Not Dead, surely alive. He's living on the inside. Yes, we can we only can do that one today though because it really just fits the lamb and lion series. Y'all probably don't like that one. That's all right. Um couple things. First off, although I love spring because of Easter, it destroys me. And so if I turn around and, and do this, it's not because I'm trying to be rude. My voice has been awful. I finally started taking allergy medicine two days ago and I've had somewhat of a switch. Uh, at least I have kind of a voice and. I'm going to cough, and I'm trying not to, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, if you haven't been here, we've been doing a sermon series called Lamb and Lion, and so for the last couple of weeks, we've been emphasizing the lamb side, the, the, from Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10, talking about the sacrificial lamb, um, and him being the sacrifice for sin, et cetera, building up to Easter today, where we're talking about the lion, um, and so... Just to let you know, this is kind of a continuing series that we've been doing. So I I may reference those other sermons. And next week, we're going to actually start a new sermon series. Uh, We're going to do the the, um, Remedy Church missions. So we're reorienting ourselves around the mission statement here at Remedy. Uh, We've kind of uh, changed it just a touch. And as we've changed it just a touch, um, the main three things that we are going to emphasize forever, if anybody ever asks you what Remedy is about, if you don't know, if you say these three words, hopefully you'll know. We're going to drive it down into your heads until you're like a robot. When somebody says, what's the church about? You're going to say community, mission, and care. So the next three weeks, we're going to do a sermon series on community, mission, and care. Um, Jack, he's a pastor here as well. He's going to preach one of those. Um, We're going to talk about uh, those three things and reorient ourselves around the mission. So if you're um, here for the first time, we'd love for you to join us next week as we start a sermon series about the mission of Remedy Church, what we're all about, what we're trying to do, what's the whole point of, of being a church here in the city. So um, that's all. Now, if you have a Bible, you can open up. This is a, a definitely not what you, most people would think, um, an unlikely Easter text. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 today. So if you have a Bible you can open up. If you don't have one, look underneath you. There's a blue and white one or a white and black one. Take that one. It's yours. It's our free gift to you. You can keep it forever. Take it. And uh, if you have one at home, just take that and give it to someone. We get these on discount. We put them there in order to give them away. So please take them. And if you know anyone that needs one, give it to them. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump in um, and uh, look at Revelation 5 today. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for what this particular Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, represents for us. The fact that you defeated Satan, sin, and death, that they had absolutely no hold on you, no sway whatsoever. And because you defeated them, you were raised to life, and now we can be raised to life with you forever, forgiven of our sin forever, saved forever. And so Lord, I pray that the truths of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us being both the lamb that was slain and the lion who has conquered would just captivate us today. I pray for anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that as we look at the beautiful gospel, this amazing story, the good news of Jesus, that you would transform their hearts this morning, that they would put their faith in Christ, that they would become a believer in Jesus, be forgiven of all their sin, and that they will live with you forever. And for those that are believers in Jesus, that you would magnify and intensify their worship for you. That this amazing good news, this amazing story, is not ever something that we get over, not ever something that we graduate from in order to move on to deeper things. It is the deeper thing. And that the good news of the gospel would find us being in awe and wonder of the son. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Now, as we've been going in this sermon series, we've been talking about uh, this metaphor of the lamb and the lion. And that metaphor is the personification of Jesus. And it's For us, it's magnifying two different things of Jesus. It's magnifying the lamb likeness of Jesus, the gentleness, the the meekness, the willing to be the servant sacrifice, uh, but also the lion, the king, the ruler, the reigner, the conqueror, the one who is no one is ever going to defeat him ever. And so we've been magnifying this contrast as much as we can. Uh, And so it's about Jesus, the lion and the lamb. But before we go into Revelation 5, I want to read you a text uh, where we're going to talk about the lion, but it's Spurgeon. And as, if you don't know about Spurgeon, he's a preacher in England about 100 years ago, and he's just awesome. Um, I I want to read this because it talks about the gospel and, and this Spurgeon quote, he's, kind of equating the gospel to the lion. And the reason why I want to read it is because I believe in the power of the gospel to save sinners. The gospel, I say this all the time, is like a diamond, and you never graduate from it. You never get old from it. You just look at it, and you're looking at this beauty of the gospel, and you're like, that's amazing. This is so unbelievable. And you turn it, and you look at a different aspect of the gospel, and the gospel is multifaceted, and you can just continually gaze upon the beauty of the gospel or the good news for Jesus to save us forever. And that's what we are called as Christians to do. So um, because I believe in the power of the gospel, I, I wanna move out of the way and unleash this good news. Um, and so I'm gonna read you a Spurgeon quote because this is in a lot of ways, what I wanna to try to accomplish today. And he, he compares the gospel to a lion. A great many learned men are defending, that's how they said it back then in 1800, learned instead of just learn. But a great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt it is a very proper and right thing to do to defend the gospel. Yet I always notice that when there are most books of that kind, it is because the gospel itself is not being preached. So they need, feel the need to defend it. Suppose a number of persons were to take it in their heads that as they need to defend a lion, a full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage and here come all the soldiers of the army to stand before the cage and fight for him. Well, I should suggest that if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, that they should kindly just move out of the way and stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself. And the best apology for the gospel or defending of the gospel is just to let the gospel out. Never mind about defending Deuteronomy or the whole of the Pentateuch. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out and see who will dare approach him. The lion of the tribe of Judah will soon drive away all of his adversaries. And a lot of ways, this is what I wanna to accomplish today is to let the gospel lion out, move out of the way. And so he will do, or the gospel will do all the work by this amazing message of Christ. Now, if you've seen any movies, you know, sometimes TV shows, movies, um, hopefully you're not too much of a binger and wasting your life. But you know, in the, uh, in the movies where a lot of times it starts at the very beginning. And so uh, it starts kind of with how, it, how it's gonna end. The movie opens up and you see like the very end, of the movie, and You're like, okay, I already know the end. And then it kind of does this little fast forward back 20 years, 50 years, 80 years or whatever. And then it tells you the story on how it gets to that particular thing at the very end for the rest of the movie. And at the very end, you're back to the very thing that you saw at the very beginning. That's what this sermon is. I'm going to fast forward us all the way to the very end of everything. And then I'm going to backtrack as much as I can. I don't know how long it's going to be there. Let's say the end's going to be 5,000 years from now, 10,000, I don't know. We're going to backtrack all the way to around 2,000 years ago, and we're going to bring ourselves back up to that particular point. So in the end, we're going to fast forward, um, and then we're going to flash back and tell the story. This is, in the end, what's going to be happening. In the end, in verse 9 of chapter 5, it says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scrolls and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood ransomed people for, um, a people for God. Every tribe every language and tongue and peoples and nations. And you have made a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Look at verse 12. And it also says, and all the people are seeing, well, I'll read verse 11. And then I looked and I heard the thrones and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads. This is just numerically higher than you can think or imagine. And thousands upon thousands saying in a loud voice, This is for those that are believers. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And you can see that in verse 13 it keeps going. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So... That's the fast forward to the end of the story. And I, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. I know that sounds kind of futuristic. And that sounds like way off in the end. And it sounds all kind of intangible. I can't wrap my mind. If you're a believer in Jesus, this isn't fiction. This isn't make-believe. If you're a believer, you're going to be there that day. Like you're going to be present there in the throne room singing that. This is the where. This is your future time. And so... If we're going to understand. Let's bring it back now. The book of Revelation was written by John the Apostle, and John the Apostle, no one else. John the Apostle was permitted to um, in, be able to ha- look into the future, glance into the great throne room of how all the things would unfold. Uh, only him was only he was allowed to do that. And then he came back and he wrote the book of Revelation. And as he writes the book of Revelation, he's writing down what he observes in the great throne room. And it's, it's got a lot of um, kind of eschatological or end times languages. It's got some, maybe some things that aren't easy to understand. Um, we're not gonna focus on those hard things. We're gonna just look at this amazing gospel message, but we gotta understand the end and we're gonna bring ourselves back to the beginning at Revelation chapter five. And this is not a fairy tale. This is really what's gonna happen. You and I are gonna be there and this day, this day awaits us standing in the great throne room of Jesus, singing worship to him. I mean, if that doesn't get you thrilled and and, and and excited, I don't know. I mean, this is just absolutely amazing. All right, so here we go. We're gonna look at Revelation 5. And as we're looking at it, there's three questions in this text that we're looking at that are just begging us to ask these questions. They're just begging. And we'll, we'll take them one at a time and section by section. The first question is this. You can go ahead and put it up. The first question is, We're gonna see it in verse one through four. What's the problem? There's a problem. What's the problem? I'm gonna read verses one through four and we'll, we'll look at it. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, a scroll written within it and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. John, he's speaking in first person. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. So what's the problem? The problem is this. No one can open the scroll. Now, I know what you're thinking, likely. You're thinking, okay, (laughs) this is Easter. It's like March 2016. That's so futuristic. What in the world does this picture of this futuristic thing of someone crying because a scroll can't be open, have anything to do with me right here and my week and my day and the way I live my life? Let me answer. This right here, the, the answer of why they're crying has everything to do with you. It applies to you more than you could ever conceive. So as we look at this, I want you to, I'm gonna get to it, but I want you to realize the answer to this particular question, what's the problem has huge implications. Huge applications to your life. I'm gonna get to it and explain to you, but let's look at that. Verse one, then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. This is God the Father seated on the throne and at the center of the, what we need to realize at the center of the universe and of all created order for all time, God the Father is sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning all creation, forever. It's the picture as we're walking into Revelation 5. God wants you to make sure you know he's on the throne. He's in charge, calling the shots. He's in absolute control. So here we see, I saw at the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And what do we see? He's sitting there and it says a scroll written within and on the back with seven seals. So normally, you know, you, maybe you don't, but you open up a scroll and just you can just see right there where it's written. This Is not only written on the inside, but if you turn it over, it's written on the back. That's usually not how scrolls work. But the message is so long on this particular scroll, so voluminous. Word of the day, voluminous. It's it's high in volume. It's so voluminous that it's using both sides of the scroll. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means there's a lot to it, a lot to it. And then it says this. It's written um, within and on the back. And look. It's sealed with seven seals. Sealed with seven seals is important. Now, in the Greek, that word sealed has a, uh, a preposition attached to it. The the, word, the Greek word is kata, according to. And anytime in the Greek you attach a preposition to a word, it's giving it more power. It's giving it... It's, making the preposition become, in what's known as the perfective, which you don't need to know, but the main thing that you need to know is that now it means that this particular seal is thoroughly sealed. It's absolutely impenetrable. No one can break them. The seal, being sealed with seven seals, especially the sign of perfection means that's permanence, completion, perfection, nothing is going to break it. No one can break it. And it's absolutely perfect the way it is. And it says it's sealed with seven seals, which is you may know, is God's number. So here's the problem. God's holding the, the, the scroll. He's seated on the throne. It's got a big message on it. Apparently, we need to know this message. It's pretty important, but it's completely sealed. And an angel comes out and says, who's the one that's worthy to take the scroll out of God the Father's hand and open it? Pretty big deal. I mean, who can open the, the scroll from God the Father? Not me. <coughs> and in verse three, it says, no one in heaven and earth, no one in heaven and earth is able to open up or is worthy, I should say, to open up the scroll. So what does the scroll have written on it? Why is it so important? Seems to be rather important and it's getting me into why this applies to you right now what does it have to do with you at all today march 2016 well it's in god the father's hands therefore we can certainly infer that he's the author of it so if god the father has said anything all of us who were created by him need to know what it says we should have a a huge interest in it the second thing is it's written on both sides which means it's god's complete plan It's all written there for us. And chapter six actually outlines, as each seal is broken, it outlines kind of what's there. Basically, the New Testament commentary says, the scroll itself, here's what's written on it. And this is why it applies to you right now. Make sure you listen to these words. The scroll reveals God's complete plan and purpose for the entire world throughout all the ages, from eternity past in the beginning to the end And the plan is what God has planned for the salvation of his people. So what's on the scroll? How does it apply to you? Here's how. It's God's complete plan and purpose for everyone that's ever been born for all time throughout all ages. And it tells us exactly what is the plan for us to be saved. Saved from what? I don't even know that I need to be saved. We'll get to that. But the message on how to be saved is in there. But here's the problem. He's holding it. No one's taking it. The message isn't out. No plan. No salvation. So the question is, who's worthy? Who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? How are we gonna get to finally read this? How are we gonna get to know the will of God for our salvation? How are we gonna finally know God's plan to save mankind? How? It's important. How are we gonna do that? Who's worthy? Who's worthy? Answer right there, verse 3. No one, you're not going to. No one, let I know that you know that it's going to get open, but stop at verse 3. Feel the weight of that. No one, no salvation can't happen. No one here is worthy. We need to stop and feel that. No one. And all of the created order can be found with the qualifications to be able to open the scroll and break its seals. Implication, as it says, you need to, I want you to notice, it uses the word worthy. It doesn't say who's able, it uses the word worthy. Who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one is. You might be able, but no one is worthy, therefore you're not able now. So here's the implication as we see this has nothing to do with abilities, has nothing to do with your ability to to try, has nothing to do with how much you do, you can't do enough. What only matters is worthiness or perfection, holiness. No one has ever been perfect. We've already seen it's sealed with seven seals and that it's complete and utter, utter perfection. So only the perfect can open the perfect. And the news is for all of us, Including me, none of us are perfect. Every man is a sinner. And because of that, everyone is under the curse. No one is able to open the seals. No one is able to see the plan of salvation. No one will receive salvation. No one. Feel the weight. That's what he's trying to drive us to. As a matter of fact, the appropriate response that all of us should have as we come to that realization that we are wicked, depraved sinners and that there's no amount of work that we can do that will ever, no abilities that will ever kind of right the scales, all the wrong things, all the good things I do, take away all the bad things. Once we come to that realization, there's no working yourself to God. The only appropriate response we have is verse 4. I began to weep. Verse four, I began to weep. Better translated actually is, I, I was bursting into tears. I was bursting into tears. He's weeping. New, New Testament commentary says, John was shedding copious tears, demonstrating the profound grief because the sealed scrolls held the key to the redemption of God's people. And it can't be opened. Why was he bursting into tears? Why was he weeping? Why was he so distraught? Because in a very real sense, if the scroll remains sealed, in a very real sense here, even though this is in the future, I know, if the scroll remains sealed, God's plan of salvation would not be executed. The human race would not be saved. The human race will be condemned forever. Condemned forever. No salvation. No one... New Testament commentary, no one in the entire universe was coming forward to answer this angel's call, break the seals, open the scroll. No human being or angel was worthy. Indeed, their silence testified to their unworthiness. Even though human beings, this is what we try to do, even though human beings try and tried repeatedly to bring about their own salvation by trying to work towards God and do right things, our obvious failures disqualify us ever from being worthy to do this. Consequently, If the scroll remains closed, God's curse would continue to rest on all of us who are sinners, and creation would never, ever be set free from bondage, and the suffering of the world and us would be forever. So the application as we see verses 1 through 4 is this, in order for us to finally be saved, in order for us to receive this great plan of salvation, we must come to a point, just like John, where we are broken, where we are weeping, where we are bursting into tears, at least on the inside. We must come to a point where we are broken for our sin. You don't get saved as a sinner unless you realize you are a sinner and it devastates you that you can't know God because of your sin. You can't be forgiven of your sin unless you're broken. And here we find ourselves at the end of verse four. Who's gonna be able to do it? Verse three. No one, which means everyone one of us are condemned forever. Praise God about verse five. This is a picture that's happening. And John has someone come to him in verse five. It says, one of the elders said to me, this is so good. Weep no more. You've been broken. You're weeping because you realize All of humanity is now condemned with their sin. And he comes to him and he says, Weep no more. There's good news. I mean, there is really good news. In all the created order, no one is able to break it. However, there is someone not of the created order who's been infinitely alive forever and will be infinitely alive forever in the future. There is good news. I want you to notice this, the prescription of John to us that he gives us is not whenever we realize that we're broken, whenever we realize that we're sinners and we're weeping, the advice is not um, just try to be worthy, just get, just get right. Or it's not um, just, just keep on keeping on, you just keep working hard, or don't give up, or don't quit, no matter what, keep on going, it's not that. The prescription that he gives us is actually turn all of your attention away from yourself. Stop focusing on yourself. As a matter of fact, he says it right there. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold the lion. Quit looking at yourself. You can't save yourself. Look away. Turn your attention, your affection, and all of your mind towards someone else. As a matter of fact, one particular person. Look to the lion. Only one thing will save focus all of your attention behold now some of your texts might say look at the line not not good enough not good enough because there's a the difference between looking and beholding you i get the i get the honor of doing weddings um, i don't know how many i've done in this short church i mean church plant's like seven years old. I think I've done like a hundred weddings. No, that's not that many. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of weddings. And one of my favorite thing to do at the wedding is this. As soon as they kind of you know, blow open the doors and here comes the bride, here comes the bride, here comes the bride. Confession, don't, don't, don't look at me wrong, okay? I don't look at the bride. I know that's weird, but I don't look at the bride. Instead, I'm usually standing by the groom. I just kind of take a step back and I look at him because this is conceivably the first time he's seen her in her wedding dress coming down. And I, while everybody looks at her, I like to look at him. You know what I like to look at him for? I like to look at him, behold, not look, behold his bride. And inevitably, their emotions well up, and almost every time they begin crying. So that's what I mean by behold. Behold is not look, behold is look and allow the welling up of affections to really bubble up and see Christ if you are tired of trying to earn your salvation on your hold behold the lamb behold the lion don't try to do it on your hold on your own turn yourself away from yourself and behold the lion if you have realized that constantly you're never going to measure up because of your sinfulness look away behold the lion once you finally get to yourself and you're broken for your sin and you know there's never going to be a chance for my conscience feels clean perfect now behold the lion not yourself. You wake up every morning and you realize, no matter what I do, I cannot earn my salvation. And it's devastating. Exactly. Behold the lion. He has conquered. He has done everything necessary now for you to be forgiven. Finally, you're there. Look away. Weep no more. Behold the lion. Let's be really clear because that can be Confusing. What do I mean by "Behold the Lion"? If you aren't spending any time in church, you've never been there, and I'm saying "Behold the Lion." What am I actually saying? "Behold the Lion." I want to tell you just four, four kind of in four verses. I'm going to use the Bible. I'm not even going to say anything besides the Bible. This is what I mean by "Behold the Lion." I probably will talk between them, but you know what I mean. "Behold the Lion," Hebrews twelve two, looking to Jesus. Almost synonymous phrase. "Behold the Lion." Look, behold Jesus, beholding Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now we have some understanding. The cross is being talked about. What does the cross have to do? If I behold the lion, what does this cross have to do with beholding the lion? He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. If I'm going to believe, it's because Jesus founded it, he he made it happen, and he's the perfecter. So he is the instigator and the author of my faith, and he's the one that continues and perfects my faith. I don't do that. He does that for me. Beholding Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross. I don't know anybody who looks at death and says, joy set before me. Why is joy set before Jesus when it's dying on a cross? The worst way to die. Despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. So, when he endured the cross and he resurrected from the grave, now he's seated at the right hand of God. We're starting to understand what behold the lion means. Jesus has always lived in eternity past, and he's always been the second person of the Trinity. And 2,000 years ago, he entered into human history and became man. He wasn't man before that. He was God the Father and the second person, God the Son and the second person of the Trinity, and then two thousand years ago, God became man, and then He became hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. But what's the point of that? Why did Jesus become man? Why was He made into man? We're getting to the cross, and we're understanding what "Behold the Lion" means. Second Corinthians five twenty one: For our sake, for our sake, He made Him. For, for our sake, God made Jesus to become man. And become sin. In other words, take all of our sin and put it on him and then his perfection is given to us. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who never was a sinner and never will be a sinner. So that we, if we trust in him, might become the righteousness of God. Who's worthy to open the seals. And apparently you have to be worthy to do it. How can I be worthy? Well, I can't. But Jesus makes me righteous. Righteous that we might become the righteousness. That means sins forgiven, declared holy now. Behold the lion, okay? Well, what was my attitude towards Jesus when all this has happened, Romans 5, 8? When, when he's deciding to come and save me and doing this amazing work of salvation for me, what was my posture? Thank you so much for that. I'm so grateful you did do that. No, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, sinners as a matter of fact, in other places the Bible says enemies, We hated God. We wanted nothing to do with God. We didn't care about this plan. And yet God becomes man to save enemies who care nothing about him. Christ died for us while we were still sinners or enemies. So what do I mean by behold the lamb, behold the lion? This is what I mean. Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10. Maybe one of the most clear places in the Bible. Behold the lion means this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, which we've already said from Hebrews, God's the author and perfecter of our faith, our belief, and believe in our heart that Christ, believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, then you will be saved. How can I be saved? Confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. It's with my heart that I believe and I'm justified or declared innocent, declared righteous, And with the mouth that you are confessing are saved. When you realize there is no work, there is no thing I can do in order to get saved because I've always been a sinner and I'm finally broken. God's saying, exactly. Behold the lion now. Trust in Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. He's the only way. Turn your eyes away from yourself, away from your decisions about me trying to do whatever I want right now. That's leading you down a path of destruction. Instead, life's not about you. Life's not about you being all that you wanna be for yourself. Instead, it's about you being on mission for Christ, worshiping and living for him. And he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I beg you, I plead with you, If you're not a believer in Jesus, trust in Christ today. Become a believer in Jesus today. Back to the problem. Got kind of excited here. There's only one person that can open this scroll and he tells him, weep no more. But wait, let me ask this, okay? I got a little head. Why is he the only one that can open the scroll? He's the only one worthy. Why is he the only one that's worthy? What is it about him what is it about Jesus? Why is he the only one that's worthy enough to open the scroll? And the key to this, why, affects everyone big time. Big time. Jesus, in this little text here, in verses five, six, is called Two Things. You can see it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. The lion has conquered so that he can open this scroll and its seven seals. Because the lion conquered, he's the one that can open the scroll and the seven seals. And verse six, you can see the other side. And between the th- throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing as though he had been slain. So you have this picture of a lamb and a lion, all of one person, metaphorical language, helping us understand that Jesus in a lot of ways <clears throat> is the lamb and the lion, the one that was slain, the meek, sacrifice servant, but also the lion, the ruling king forever. And so here he's called the lion because that's actually referring all the way back to Genesis chapter 49. In the very beginning, in, in the book of Genesis, as you're kind of going down through the story, there's 12 tribes. And as that's going, there's blessings being given to all the 12 sons or the 12 tribes. And one of them's name is Judah. Jesus is eventually going to be born later. But, but which of the 12 tribes, which of the 12 sons is Jesus going to be in that genealogy? I mean, there's 12 of them. And he, they're, they're all getting blessings. Which one is it? And he looks at Judah. And in Genesis 49, 9 and 10, there's a prophetic word given to give into Judah that helps us see that Jesus is going to be in Judah's line. That's why he's the lion of Judah. Judah is a lion's cub. This is Genesis 49. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be obedience of all the peoples. This is the Old Testament using um, prophetic language, helping us understand that it's depicting Jesus, that of all the 12, Judah is picked and from Judah, a ruler is going to come, a lion, a conqueror, a king, from his tribe, and it's going to be Jesus Christ. So that's why it's using the word lion. But it also uses the word lamb. Why does it use lamb? There's a lot of texts we could go to in the Old Testament, but one in particular, Isaiah 53 verses seven and eight. This is why he's called the lamb. This is written before Jesus lived, and it's in prophetic language, describing this one day savior that's going to be be born and and live and die for his people. And it describes the scenario before it even happens. And it's talking about Jesus. And he says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. We know that as Caiaphas and Pilate are trying to push him, he got to a point where he just stopped answering. He didn't talk anymore. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for this generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? No one. So here we see that he's depicted as the lamb that was led to the slaughter. So the question from above is, why is he the answer to the problem? That's the third, that's the third one. Why is he the answer to the problem? I don't know if you saw, Question two, I don't know if i highlighted. highlight it. You can put up question two real fast. Question two is, what is the answer to the problem? The answer to the problem's coming. It's good news, weep no more. Behold the lamb. But why? Why is he the answer to the problem? Here it is. He is the only one. Jesus is the only one who is the lion that's conquered death. So therefore, he's the only one that can do this. But he's also... The only one, because he's the only one who was slain. He's the lamb who died for the sins of the world. The lamb is standing, though. I want you to see this in verse six. It says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, if you've ever been around somebody that's been slain, hopefully you haven't, because that's weird, or any animal that's ever been slain, hopefully you haven't, because that's still kind of weird. The thing about an animal or anybody that's ever been slain is, They don't stand unless they have like massive rigor mortis set in and you can just kind of sit them up there. Like it's done, right? That's over. They're dead. They're not standing. They're done. And here it says in verse I know that was weird. I'm sorry. The lamb standing as though it had been slain. The lamb standing as though it had been slain. And it's signifying to us that John, who gets a picture to look into the great throne room, as he sees Jesus in the future, He sees a body of a man, and he sees this body of the man who has been slain. He has a body that looks like it's been, in some sort or fashion, cut into pieces, but now has been healed. And this body that has been healed is able to stand. The lamb, the slain lamb that has been healed, stands at the center of God's throne room, slain as the lamb, yet triumphant as the lion. That's why he's the only one. That's why no one else, no one else in the world, this text tells us that he's the lion that conquered and overcame sin, Satan, sin, and death, and then rose again on the third day. That's the whole reason why we come here on Easter and put on our tithes and worship Jesus, because he is the one who defeated the grave. It was borrowed, just rented. Didn't buy it. You don't need it anymore. And he's also the lamb that was slain for you and me in our wicked depravity, our willful, chosen, wicked depravity while we were still enemies. He comes and dies for us. Somebody has to die for sin. Somebody has to die. He says, I'm gonna stand in your place and you don't have to now. So because he's the lamb and the lion, that's why he and only he is the one that can do this. Now, This is, I've been waiting to get this part. It's my favorite part of the whole text, the whole sermon. There is an interesting little unexpected uh, twist. I don't know the word to use. I have twist in my notes and quotes because I'm just not sure. It's just unexpected and so like God to do it this way. There's an unexpected little twist that only God would think of and only God would do and only God would do this. In this text, we emphasize the lion, the lamb and the lion, the meek, gentle, sacrificial servant lamb who's killed. And after that, we have the lion, the triumphant, conquering king. And we look at that, we say, oh, yeah, I'm all about the lion. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome, but I'm picking one. The lion's my favorite. That's just at least my natural inclination. I want you to notice the songs we sing. What's the song we sing? Look at verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. We're not talking to the lion. We're going to continually throughout the book of Revelation see Jesus referred to as only the lamb, not the lion. Just here is the lion. Just here. This is the interesting little twist that only God would do and only God would think of. Worthy is the lamb to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, as it says in verse 13, not the lion, to him who sits on the throne. And I would think, all right, now it's, if we're talking about worthy is the lamb that was slain in verse 12, that's the one side. But certainly if we're gonna talk about him who's sitting on the throne as the ruling king and conqueror, we're gonna say lion. I would think to him who sits on the throne and to the lion, no, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and forever and ever doesn't say lion. Jesus, the conqueror, the overcomer of Satan's sin and death, the one that deserves the title, the absolute title of lion, who refers to himself in this chapter and all the way throughout the rest of of Revelation, doesn't say lion, instead, lamb. And my only question is, why choose the weaker animal, in my perception, weaker animal, to be praised in your songs forever? That's not what I would have done. I would emphasize my strength not my weakness. That's the interesting little unexpected thing that God does. That's how he does it. And here's why. Here's why he emphasizes the lamb instead of the lion. You see, in verse number nine, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. So the lamb being slain is what caused this next thing. And by your blood, you ran some people for God beautifully from every tribe, tongue and nation, so everybody it doesn't matter what color you are it doesn't matter what language you speak, everybody from every tribe tongue and nation will be in heaven singing, but he emphasizes the lamb that was slain, and because, as it says in verse verse number five, one of the elders said to me, "Weep no more, behold, the lion of Judah has conquered so he can open so." The conquering of the lion, the ruling, reigning king, authority, awesome. Look at the lion, he's all in charge. The, the ability for the lion to be that is only possible because the lamb was slain. In other words, the lion conquered that side, if you will, of Jesus conquered precisely because the lamb was slain. If the lamb wasn't slain, now we think of it, If the lion's gonna conquer, he's just gonna go mow everybody over. Victory, I just destroyed everybody. That's the way I get victory, just destroy them all. The lion says, I'm not gonna do it that way, even though I could. I'm going to die. And by dying, I get victory. Just not the way that we would think it would happen. This means that Jesus is the most lamb-like, meekest Sacrificial servant lion that we've ever seen ever. He's the most lamb-like lion ever, and conversely is also the same. It means he's the most lion-like lamb. He's the most fiercest, strongest, conquering lamb. Now, you look at lamb; they're just so meek and weak. And a real lamb, like an animal lamb, like they're dumb. They don't do anything. It's blah, they eat grass and walk around. Right? That's it. He is the most strongest. Fiercest, conquering, should be feared lamb ever. So he is the lion and he earns that title lion because he was the lamb that was slain and he because he was willing to die and not just have victory another way. We take the lamb as the title of our affection because the, the sacrifice is what earned him the conquering. So we don't call him the lion in this text in the rest of Revelation, we call him the lamb. As Piper says this way, which you've heard on those videos the past few weeks as we've been leading up, Piper says it this way. What sort of a lion was he? He was a lamb-like lion. That means a lion who's able to destroy, but chooses not to do that. Instead, he's willing to sacrifice himself. He's a lamb-like lion. The lion of Judah conquered because he was willing to act the part of the lamb. Not just destroy, but instead be willing to die. He came into Jerusalem a week before Easter on Palm Sunday like a king going to the throne like a lion. And he went out of Jerusalem on Good Friday, not like a lion, but instead like a lamb going to the slaughter. He drove away the robbers in the temple like a lion devouring its prey. And then at the end of that week, which is where we are right now, two days ago on Friday... He gave his majestic, lion-like, lamb-like neck to the knife and they slaughtered the lion of Judah like a lamb. So he conquered sin and death and Satan, not just because he was a lion, but because he was a lamb-like lion. His defeat came through death, The lion gets the victory not by destroying, but instead by using the tactics of the lamb, by being willing to die. That is not the way we get victory, but it is how he gets victory. Jesus won by dying. That's amazing defeating Satan, defeating sin and defeating death came by dying for us. And then three days later being resurrected back to life, demonstrating none of them have power over him. And so none of them have power over us. And his being resurrected life proves that we can be one day resurrected back to life forever in heaven. So Jesus died and was raised back to life. Therefore, mankind, those who are in Christ, we also die. Spiritually. The old passes, and if those who trust in Christ, the new comes. Saint Corinthians 5 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Kine kittisis. Behold, the old has passed, and the new has come. Oh. So what our appropriate response here? our appropriate response is, if you're not a believer in Jesus, then behold the lion. Trust in the lamb's sacrifice for you. Today, right now, be forgiven of all your sins. Even though you are an enemy, he died for you. And he's beckoning you, pleading you to come and be forgiven of your sins and save forever. And then back to the end of the story. And one day you will be with all who are Christians in heaven singing. What will be the result? The result will be every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, all of us, and a whole lot more people that don't look like us will be singing, probably not even in English, singing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. And to him who sits on the throne, God, the father, and to the lamb, that's Jesus, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever, and ever, and ever, amen. So what's our response? Here's our response. If you're not in Christ, today's the day. Everything has been done for you. Weep no more. Weep no more. Behold the lion who's conquered by dying for you. Put your faith in him today. And if you're a believer in Jesus, struggling, the gospel's for you, the same. Weep no more. Behold the lion who has conquered for you by dying as the lamb. Stand and worship your king. Let's all stand and I'll close this in prayer. If you wanna become a believer in Jesus, come find me, I'll be in the back. For those of you that are believers, worship King Jesus who defeated Satan, sin, and death for us and is the conquering lion. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love and your mercy and this amazing gospel message that you are the conquering lion. You are the lamb that was slain. You are our savior, our only hope. You gave your knife to the neck so that your neck to the knife so that we didn't have to sin was weighing heavy but you gave your son Jesus save those here that don't know you cause them to behold the lion cause them to confess their sin and put their faith and trust in you and be forgiven and be with all of those that are in Christ in heaven one day and for those that are believers in Jesus may this just be a sweet time of worship where we, with all of our ability, sing right now like we're going to in Revelation 5. I pray this in Jesus' name.